You're listening to another episode of Classic Movies Live, and today we are going to be talking about the latest entry in one of my favorite series, uh, John Wick, uh, specifically John Wick Chapter 4. This is technically a full spoilers episode because we were just really excited to start talking about all the different aspects of this movie, so we kind of forgot that you know, we should try and keep it spoiler-free. We're, we're getting really good at catching ourselves anyway, so I think that if you listen to our episode and you haven't seen the movie yet, it is spoiler-light, but uh, there is no full spoiler warning, and we weren't super careful, so I will, I, I will just give you that caution. I mean, like I said, we were really excited to start talking about this movie. I get to gush a lot about Tyler Bates and... Uh, Donnie Yen. Pierre is really excited to talk about the production design and the cinematography of this. I just really want you guys to hear it, but first I really want you guys to hear Genesis by Justice. of Classic Movies Live, the pre-recorded show where we only talk about franchises. But today's franchise is relatively newer. I don't think we've talked about it on the show before, but I think we're both caught up. We're going to talk about John Wick. Pierre, John Wick 4. You see it? I did. Uh, last Hell night. Yeah. Did, did you see it? <laughs> I also did last night. Probably. Phew. I right. wouldn't be like totally surprised if we watched it at the same time. I guess I'd be a little surprised because I watched it in my evening, which is like your afternoon. So maybe not. Yeah, that was, yeah, no, <laughs> it was not the afternoon. Pierre, had you seen the other John Wicks before this? I have, yeah. I, I'd say I, I, I'd watch each one like a year after it came out. It was never really a, a franchise that I was like really invested in, I guess. But for some reason, it changed this time. I don't, I don't know why. I just I was a lot more excited to see this one. They really like built up to this one. I don't know. I remember in, I think it was in 2019 even, Ch- uh, John Wick 4 was officially greenlit and it got a release date the same day as The Matrix 4, which was like mm. back in 2019 when no one knew anything, that was like the big event that was building up in mainstream film communities that I was in at the time. It was like, oh shit, John Wick 4 versus The Matrix 4. That's going to be the big one. And uh, <laughs> The Matrix now came out a year over a year ago. So, like, I don't know what happened there. Well, I guess I guess they had gotten those release dates before anything started filming. And then in 2020, it became a lot harder to film things. So that's probably what happened. Yeah, I, I definitely say, especially with a movie like, um, like John Wick, because I think with The Matrix, you can probably shoot a lot of that in a studio. Mm-hmm. Um, it felt like a lot of John Wick, they used, like, real real locations and real sets in some yeah. aspects. And you need like a lot, you need a lot of stuntmen too <laughs> in, in, a, in a lot of those scenes. I, well, to be fair, I haven't seen The Matrix 4, so I'm just assuming, but I'm just assuming they could, they were able to CGI more stuff. Um, I don't know, keep people more separate than they were. They're able to in a John Wick movie where it's very gritty hand-to-hand stuff with lots of people. Yeah, and John Wick 4 also, like, really uses its location. Just sort of to build on what you were already saying, the scenes in this that are shot in Paris had to be shot in Paris, had to be shot on location. 
obviously not yeah. doing actual traffic, but like they had to be as real as possible in a lot of those. Yeah. Scenes. Well, I, I don't, I mean, some of them for sure. I, I think the thing is with this movie is that it's really, the production value on this is amazingly well done. I actually, like a lot of the times in movies, I'll be, it sounds really lame, but I'll be trying to tell like, is this actually shot on location or is this real? Like a, a lot of them, I definitely like, obviously shooting around, uh, like shooting inside the Louvre, I think that's, that's like the big art museum, right? And Oh yeah. Yeah. Paris. Yeah. There was like that. There was a, there was like a one dialogue scene that looked like it was in the Louvre. I don't know if they actually shot it in there because that's insanely expensive. I think to rent that place out for a night is like a couple million dollars, but it looked, it really looked like they did. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was actually shot there or the scene where they're in that, the famous Paris roundabout. There's no way they shot all of that on location because the amount of stunts, I think it would take like 10 days to shoot. They can't shut that thing down for 10 days. Yeah, because that's like a major roundabout. Probably every person in Paris has driven through there like at least once a week, every week. Yeah, it just wouldn't be realistic. But it, I could not tell in any way that they did not shoot there, to be honest. Yeah. So, like, it's, it's just very impressive to me. Yeah. Yeah, the locations in this are insane. And also like, so there's, there's several scenes in this before we start talking about the movie, I guess. There's several scenes in this that take place in Berlin. And like... A lot of those locations are real locations in Berlin, but I have never seen any part of Berlin. I've been to Berlin a couple of times and I have never seen any part of Berlin as empty as in this movie. And like, even in the scenes where there's a lot of people around, it's like, yeah, there's like a hundred or a couple hundred people around, but I've never seen any part of Berlin with less than a couple of thousand people just in your periphery. It's huge and it's crowded there. Like, what did they do to clear out those parts of Berlin? And like, you know, maybe a lot of it was just not on location, but there's a few parts that definitely have to be like, you know, fake Germany fan over here. I don't remember the name of the big monument in Berlin of the big like gate. I think it's the Brandenburger gate, but like that's the big location in Berlin. Like that place is always crowded and there was no one there when John Wick walks past it for like 30 seconds. Yeah. Like, how did they clear that out? I think that's just like a testament. Like if you can't, if you can't tell if it's on location or not, then the filmmakers, like they really did their job well. And like that problem, because honestly, this could, like if they told me that this whole movie would, was green screen, like I wouldn't even mind because like you could never ever tell in any way if it was. If I found out that this whole movie was green screened, I would immediately hate every other movie for not being as good. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. Right. So I mean, honestly, like either way, like this is this was shot for like a hundred million dollars, and like this looks better. This looks way better than so many recent two hundred million dollar movies that I've seen. Yeah, like it's not even like a contest. Like the like it's not even just like the production design, but the cinematography, the the visuals. Like it look it looks like such a rich movie. Like you could tell, I think, I think uh, the problem with a lot of maybe modern day blockbusters is that the only thing I could say is like the casts aren't like are too expensive and that's why, but like, I mean, this is, I feel like Keanu Reeves probably is not cheap anymore because he's on a meteoric rise after, after ironically the start of this franchise. And there's a lot, like there's a great supporting cast in this too. I mean, Donnie Yen, Bill Skarsgård, Lawrence Fishburne, Ian Clancy McShane, Brown, Shamir Clancy Anderson. Brown. <laughs> Obviously, these aren't the most expensive guys, but like they're all they're, these are all top top tier actors that you see in a lot of different stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like what, what there is no excuse for a lot of a lot of these higher budget movies anymore because obviously it's just like if you put in the work and you actually figure this stuff out, you can you can make a very good looking movie for really cheap. Mm-hmm. and still make a lot of money off of it too yeah i don't know how this movie's doing already because it literally came out yesterday as of recording this but this movie is going to make money oh yeah it's it's the biggest of the franchise so far so and i think I it's mean, gotten the best reviews i mean I, I i wonder if we will add to that but i think this might have the best reviews of the franchise too 
so far. Yeah, at least on Rotten Tomatoes, I, I think it does. I can't, I can't believe, like, 95 is crazy. For a three-hour action movie, like, like, that's really impressive. Steeped in such detailed and also, like, weirdly convoluted lore as this franchise has become, too. Yeah. It's so weird, because I've seen all four movies, so I kind of understand what's going on, and I get, like, I understand, like, all the weird lore that they have in these movies somehow, but, like, if someone was just coming into this movie and hadn't seen the other ones, well, weird place to start, first of all, but, like, also, I don't... I don't know how if you would understand what's going on, which I also don't know if that's a huge problem, honestly. Yeah, it's like because I was I was telling you earlier, like I I could have watched the other movies. I kind of wish I did now. I definitely would have had to space them out more because they're all like very similar. To be honest, they're all just straight up John Wick killing people the whole time. Um, But it would have been nice to. Because I vaguely remember the events of the third movie where I think it was it was Ian McShane, who was like his mentor for all the movies, ends up shooting him. And then he falls off a four-story building. And uh, you assume he's dead, but he actually gets out. <laughs> Which is, I remember, honestly, I, I actually remember at that point being like, this, this franchise is just really stupid at this point. <laughs> like, how, how does he get shot and survive that? that fall just straight up he's got a really strong will apparently yeah because uh and I, I have a strong will to watch these movies every time they do something more stupid with them apparently because i was really excited to watch this one so i don't know what's going on there yeah like every time these movies get more and more insane and like build on the world more and more i always have to remember like this is a movie about a guy getting revenge for his dog after someone stole his car and killed his dog. Yeah, basically. I mean, it's spun Which, out to a hell of a lot more than that, but that's what it started yeah. from. Yeah, it's it's funny how like I I don't I wouldn't necessarily say like I love how big they made it, but also like I think it is it does make the franchise very it, it makes it a franchise if that makes sense like i thought yeah. the first movie's very good as a film and as a standalone movie but i think franchise wise it's really smart to really keep branching out like this because it keeps it fresh the world building keeps you kind of interested and invested and i like i kind of like the uh, like it's a stupid aspect but it's like this is john wick for and it's a guy, like, it kind of makes it funny in the end, where it's just like, yeah, this, this shit is so stupid, it shouldn't work, but it does. And I think that adds to the value of it, too. <laughs> These movies are kind of a masterclass in world building, because the first movie just, like, it introduces this, like, sort of seedy underground world of assassins that, like, you know, it, it, it makes sense that they'd have to have their own little society in order to function in their job. And then, like, as things go on, they introduce like medieval style councils. They introduce nobility. There's like entire customs and old laws. Clancy Brown in this movie is constantly talking about the old ways and how, according to the old laws, you can do this, but you can't do that. And like by this movie, it all makes sense is the thing. And like, it started from such a, it started from such a like relatable and, almost fully real place in the first one and it got to be like fantasy levels of silly but like at no point does it like not work yeah i i think there's there's times it feels a little tired yeah but ironically it it always it always comes back from it like i remember in the third one i thought the whole desert the desert thing and was it halle berry and her dogs was just like really it's like a weird weird detour um but then they brought it they brought it back very well in the in the third act too which is i guess you could say that i don't know i think about this movie had a had a very kind of like an odd second act like motivation but i mean it still worked out for the movie funny enough so like um and it, it was no different it was like the second act of this movie is basically has nothing to do with like the overall plot. It's just like someone wants something from John. So they're like, go kill this guy and you get, I'll give you what you want. 
and it's a it's a very extended sequence but they make it work very well this time instead of in the third movie i guess the thing is like it's also a really awesome sequence because what would be what would a john wick movie be without uh, a fight set to awesome like techno music in a in a dance club at this point and yeah. uh this one has another great fight scene like that in the second act and like that's what i watch these movies for i mean i get a lot else out of them but like every time there's like a dance club techno fight scene i'm like that's that's why i'm here that's why i bought the ticket yeah. You think it's like something that would be like really tiring at this point, but like I live for that stuff. I don't know. You were mentioning earlier you thought the soundtrack was really good too, right? Oh yeah, like I mean the soundtrack once again is done by Tyler Bates, but this time with Joel J. Richard helping out. And like mm. way back when, when the first John Wick movie came out, Tyler Bates had like just become the guitarist for Marilyn Manson, which I don't think he is anymore, so I'm glad he got out of that. But, like, that immediately turned me on to Tyler Bates, uh, just in general. And, like, straight up, the fact that Tyler Bates did the soundtrack for John Wick is probably what made me buy Marilyn Manson's next three albums after that movie came out. Like, that movie... Does Tyler Bates work with Marilyn Manson? I don't think anymore. He he was oh, for a while. Before. Oh, that's... In, yeah. I didn't know that. Okay. So he used to be, yeah. like, a, a producer. Um, he's, he's still, uh, he does a lot of production and he, um, used to be one of, uh, Marilyn Manson's guitarists, both on the albums and touring too. Uh, but I don't think anyone's touring with Marilyn Manson right now. I think he's, uh, dealing with the fallout of many years of being kind of a shitty guy catching up to him. Yeah. That's, Not that's Tyler Bates, Marilyn Manson. But. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I guess Tyler Bates before this had done Guardians of the Galaxy. Guardians of the Galaxy may have a really good like uh, score as well. I don't really know because to me, this may not be totally fair, but in my head, at mo- most of the Marvel uh, MCU soundtracks kind of blend together because it's one of the ways that they keep that tone consistent in the universe is the soundtracks are often quite similar. So I don't know. Tyler Bates' yeah. soundtrack for uh, Guardians of the Galaxy may may have I actually been good. really like it. Okay, <laughs> I think it's unfortunate that people don't recognize it because the score, the soundtrack is so good, but the score is also very very good, in my opinion. Okay, that is good to know though, because like Tyler Bates, I started seeking out movies where Tyler Bates is doing the soundtrack because of John Wick, and like yeah, at least in the first two movies, I don't think he did that for this one. But Tyler Bates would also always be heavily involved on what is functionally the lead single from that John Wick movie. Uh, On the first one, it was Marilyn Manson's Killing Strangers. On the second one, it was, I believe, by an Italian band, but I can't remember who... I can't remember who it was, and it would probably take me too long to figure it out here on the fly. Hey, editing Jeff here to say the name of the song that I forgot is Plastic Heart by Nostalgia. Here's a little sample. But like, he's always involved in writing some actually like legit awesome single off of the John Wick soundtrack. Uh, mm-hmm. And once again, this score was incredible. I thought they reused some stuff off the soundtrack from the earlier John Wick movies, but I was wrong. I just listened to a lot of Justice at the same time as uh, I watched the last John Wick movies, apparently, because um, I misidentified a Justice song that happens in this uh, in oh. this movie. <laughs> as the Castlevania's LED Circles, which, uh, oops. Also a great song, though. That was the one that scored the first uh, dubstep club scene in a John Wick movie. Oh, perfect. And I think Genesis, Genesis was on the stairs in this movie. There's a very, very cool fight scene where they're going up and down very long <laughs> stairs. <laughs> I remember when I was seeing that part, I was like, really? They're going to end, like, 
like the th- the final fight is him just climbing stairs and fighting people after like all the amazing set pieces, but somehow they made the stairs themselves be a very cool, probably one of the most interesting uh, settings for for fighting in the movie as well, honestly. There's so many scenes in this where I think back and I'm like, oh, that's my favorite fight, but there's a lot of them. Every, like, the fight in the, in the club is awesome. The fight on the stairs is incredible. There's fights yeah. before that that are pretty good. There's only like one or two fights in this where I was like, this is probably where I could have like stepped out and gone to the bathroom. Really, It's unfortunate. I think that the whole movie is fight. I mean, that's the point, but like if any, if you took like two minutes of any of these fights and put it into like a regular movie, if that makes sense, people would be like, Oh my God, that was like an amazing fight scene. But like none of that will stick out because the whole movie is just an extended fight scene and they're all like the choreography is never boring like it's all really really good yeah and every time you think it's getting repetitive they switch it up mm-hmm. i think that's like the big magic of of the movie is that it you can kind of sense when the regular john wick killing isn't working so they'll give him something new to work with or a new situation to be in or a new setting to be in they're all, or the how they film it cinematography wise. It's very, very creative in the portrayal of the fighting. And a lot of movies can learn from this, how, how to film an action movie. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I think there's a scene in this where John Wick kills a man with a gun while he is reassembling the gun. Like he's taking it apart putting it back together and is like killing the guy with the frame of the gun, not even the actual gun itself. He can't shoot it yet. That might've been on the, the third one. Oh, was it on the stairs? Okay. Oh, yeah. maybe there was a different one. I remember there's this one scene where this guy was struggling to get up and John Wick was like slowly assembling the gun while like putting, having his knee on the guy or something. I, I think that was from another John Wick movie. I gotta and watch these again them off. very soon. Yeah, that's a, now like I want to rewatch John Wick four, but I want to rewatch John Wick one, two, and three. <laughs> so yeah, that, that's how good this movie. It really did its job well, honestly. So, like, I honestly don't know. I don't even know if I could describe what happens in this movie. But would you like to try? Because I clearly can't. I mean, I guess it's uh after the events of John Wick three, the I think he. He kills someone. No, that was the second one. <laughs> and the second this one, movie I think starts was... with him killing the dude in the desert. Oh, I might have missed that. Honestly, I, I missed like the first couple minutes. I first see him in Japan. He's hiding out from the table, and the table comes for him, and then he starts fighting. I don't know. That's all. <laughs> all I can say. <laughs> Without really spoiling it, but also even if I did spoil it, that's basically like the whole movie. There's a marquee who is, I th- I think is newly, who is newly instated to the table because his dad passed away or something, and um, a big part of why he was promoted was because he said he would be the one to go after John Wick, and because of that, the table. You don't really know what the table or like who the table is. Well, I think that's kind of the point. But the table or the high table of the assassin world has funneled all their resources into this guy. And he's portrayed by Bill Skarsgård. Bill Skarsgård, who's great in this movie. I really liked him, too. And <laughs> Bill Skarsgård, who once again plays a crazy evil guy. Yeah. <laughs> Dude's very much in danger of being typecast as a crazy evil guy. I think he already has been, honestly. I mean, I was just thinking of his, when I saw him, I was thinking of his character from uh, The Barbarian, honestly. I was like, oh, it's the, it's the kind of nice guy, nice creepy guy. But in this guy, <laughs> unless I knew he was just evil. And uh, so, yeah, it's, and he has hired Donnie Yen, who is John Wick's old friend. Uh, his name is Kane, and he's blind, to track down John Wick. And the movie kind of goes from there where John Wick's main goal is to, I guess, kill Bill Skarsgård's character. Meanwhile, Donnie Yen is trying to track him down. And there's another guy with a dog who's tracking John 
that that is something I found weird. We'll talk about that later. That is something I, I found confusing. But yeah. Yeah, so John Wick wants to kill Bill Skarsgård, but importantly, he's got to kill him according to the rules. So that eventually Clancy Brown like does the sign of the cross and says you're absolved of your sins because you killed him the right way. Yeah, which even I was like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> you know what? This is a world where somehow or another, this world of assassins has their own stuffy nobility that has to abide by a bunch of silly rules. Like, okay, yeah. it makes sense. <laughs> well, like, I think one part that's actually really smart and how, like, they they really keep everything so vague. Like, they, they, there's mm-hmm. a lot of world building, but they still keep it. We don't really know how this world works. Yeah. The nice thing about that is that every movie they can come up with some random bullshit <laughs> to to help the plot along. And no one can really question it because we still don't really understand what is happening or why. Like, And that's good. Like, they shouldn't clarify that. And that's smart because, yeah, it al- allows them a lot of creative freedom in each movie to try something new and give them like a unique motivation that we don't really need an explanation for. Yeah, I think the worst thing that anyone could do for this franchise is release like a tie-in book that is all the laws of the of the high table. That's the worst yeah. thing that anyone could do for this franchise. Yeah. Well, I, I actually think in some ways that's like the worst thing. Because I, I think a lot of the times, I know with Star Wars, there's just so much like canon conflicting things and like people have to argue is this canonical like is this book canonical with the movies because it explains this a different way but then the movie tries to do it another way um but this is nice because it's just movies and the director and one director so far and he can do whatever he wants because it is his world entirely and nothing really clashes there's nothing i like more than world building but also like nothing i like less than rigid canon yeah exactly It's what keeps me out of MCU and Star Wars fan discussions. Because I'm like, I don't care at all about the canon. I want to see Hulk punch a thing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so that is a a nice aspect of the movie. But yeah, what did you you think of the new additions to the cast? Like, I guess Bill Skarsgård, Donnie Yen. What's the other guy's heroes? He's just like the guy. No, the, the guy from the start. The Japanese... Oh, Hiroyuki Sonata. Yeah, who's who's? I feel. I mean, he's making great money of it, but he's basically default old Japanese guy in any movie I've seen, and he's always amazing in it. But oh yeah, I mean, he's an incredibly accomplished Japanese actor, but also like I notice he's in a lot of Hollywood stuff, like a lot of Western productions, and so I wonder, like, I, I'll bet there just aren't that many actors in japan that like have a lot of crossover appeal into hollywood like that's Mm -hmm. why he's typecast as wise old japanese man in hollywood productions because he's incredibly accomplished in japanese cinema but you know there's only so many japanese actors who are super interested in working in hollywood for whichever reason super interested or like have the opportunities I, i don't know how much of it is like people aren't getting opportunities that they should be getting too. Yeah. And well, it, it seems like he's getting all the opportunities. He's, so he's far, definitely honestly. getting a lot of them. And I love him yeah. in everything he's in. He's like, this is like a laundry list of my favorite actors that are in things. Cause you got Keanu Reeves, you got Donnie Yen who like, I'll go out of my way to find and Like he's the reason I watched star Wars Rogue one. When I, when that movie came out, I was like, Oh shit, Donnie Yen is in this. And then I watched it and well, Donnie Yen was in it, so I didn't hate the movie. Yeah. And then you got Bill Skarsgård, who, uh, you know, can't go wrong with any of the Skarsgårds, honestly. Bill is a top-tier Skarsgård, for sure. And then, like, I always love seeing Hiroyuki Sonata. I've just recently started, like, really getting into, uh, like, really starting to notice and appreciate Shamir Anderson. So it was really cool to see him in this. Uh, he was in a mm. movie called Bruiser last year, which... Uh, had a very different vibe. He, he he played a responsible dad, which was very cool and very different from this role. So, yeah, lo- lots of people that I was very excited to see. And I got to say, for me, the highlight was easily Donnie Yen. I loved his character in this. And I especially loved, like... So Donnie Yen's character, Kane, is a blind assassin. And, like, I don't know what I necessarily expect when I hear those words. 
but I definitely did not expect the way his character fought because his character being a blind assassin, he like flails around and it looks so sloppy. It's not, it's just like, he's very electric trying to make as much noise as possible, which I feel Mm -hmm. like is just like, it's such a cool, like, I don't even know if it is a twist on the blind assassin because I don't know what that character archetype is. It's just not at all what I expected. Like John Wick is very, uh, his fighting style in all of these movies tends to be, you know, it's utilitarian when it has to be, but he's very like, he's very measured. He's very like precise and specific, like one shot, one kill lots of all the time. And like, Donnie Yen, when he open when he comes into a fight, he'll just start a fight by unloading his magazine in random directions, just to, and like without even necessarily intending to hit anybody. He's just trying to make a lot of noise so he knows where everyone is, which like leads to such weird, interesting fights because he's he's just all over the place. It makes him uh, it makes him very unpredictable, and it makes him a hell of a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, one one aspect I liked was how. Every time I've seen a blind guy at an action movie, I guess, it's usually like, oh, he's like, he's like super, like he can hear everything extremely well. So it's basically like he's not blind and he's just fighting like Daredevil, right? Like, yeah, for the most part, I could be like, like, if you were watching Daredevil, you'd be like, this guy isn't acting like he's blind unless unlike sometimes they play with that. But this movie, it's like you can you can tell he's fighting as a blind guy and it it has some very unfortunate side effects like he 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 is fighting at a disadvantage it's not mm-hmm. like he's he's just as good as everyone else but he's able to make up for it just because he's so like such an amazing fighter that it like evens out if that makes sense well and he fights smart there's a cool scene in this it's a hilarious scene to look back on it was funny enough when i was watching it where he's running around this kitchen where he's fighting three guys and he's like slapping down doorbells all over the place so that when they walk by it like rings a doorbell and he knows where they are which is hilarious when it plays out yeah that was really cute and uh like there's 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 a couple scenes like like you said where i think he could have definitely killed john maybe but um he just straight up he can't see him so he completely misses his shots but then like it's like he he's shooting and then, but then when he hears John flinching, then he like narrows in on his target. And it's just really cool to see that process of like, it's like he's in a vulnerable place, but then once he finds you, it's like, you're screwed, you know? And there's this one really cool scene where uh, John runs out of bullets in his magazine and Donnie ends like walking around and he can't tell if John's dead or not. And it's like really tense because John knows if he makes a move, he'll instantly know where he is and he'll die. But yeah. This cool stuff like that is really smart. It makes him feel extra dangerous because like, it's weird. It feels like when he is fighting a lot of guys and he knows that he's like going to be fine, he fights almost like randomly and eccentrically. But then like, you'll get those moments where it's more vulnerable, where he's like more even with whoever he's fighting. Like when he's in a one-on-one with John Wick, where I guess that like kind of that blind archetype that you said earlier almost comes out where it's not like he's fighting like he isn't blind but it's more like now he's gonna make like very precise movements based on what he can hear but any other time he's like you know fighting eccentrically so that he can you know well so so that he can do a lot of things it's i don't know how to describe it it's just it's he's so fun to watch in this yeah he's he's really good he's a he's a great addition um, I actually, I would love, I would have loved to see a movie where he's the protagonist, if that makes sense. Like, I think, I think that would actually be really interesting. Uh, just, just watch any Donnie Yen movie. No, well, I get, well, does he play a blind guy? <laughs> I actually I thought that know. aspect I... was cool. One, one thing I kind of wish was that I wish we saw, because every time we saw John Wick actually challenged by someone, it's like he didn't actually have to fight them. Like with Donnie Yen, like they were they were kind of set up as arch rivals, but they never really have because they're old friends. They never really have like a straight up showdown, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing with I'd say like Bill Skarsgård has like a right hand guy, and he seems like one of the only guys that can really give John Wick like a a true run for his money. But then he kind of gets 
taken out in like not a do sex mock in a way, but like it was a very like saved at the last minute type of way, if that makes sense. And I didn't really love that either because I would really like to see John like have to really use his brain to like figure out how to beat someone rather than uh just him for the most part getting by by just being better than everyone else at killing. Mm-hmm. Are you talking about the guy who kicked him down the stairs? Yeah. <laughs> okay. He, I, I actually like even him. I thought he was really good in that role, despite him having literally zero character and like zero motivation. He's mostly just working for his boss. Right. But I thought he was a yeah. very good henchman. Yeah. He was damn near unkillable, which is like the, yeah. the best thing for a villain like that. Yeah, and it, you could tell he was, like, I thought he, it seemed like he had a lot of fun with the role, like, mm-hmm. when he first comes into the the hotel in Japan, the Osaka International, like, he, he brings a lot of presents with him, so he was great, too. Uh, um, the name of the actor, by the way, was Marco Zaror. I don't know go. if I'm pronouncing that quite right, but he's a Chilean yeah. martial artist. He'd be, uh, he'd be great as, like, a... Bond henchman, I think, as well. Yes. I'd love to see that in the future, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then also, like, Ian McShane did a solid job. I feel kind of bad for his character, honestly. <laughs> like, it kind of feels like he just seems really done with everything, but I think it's, like, he's sweet. Same thing with Lawrence Fishburne. I don't really know why Lawrence Fishburne is kind of there. I still don't really understand his character. Like, so he's, like, the ant. He's the rebellious part of that movement, or he's anti-the-table. I don't really know, but I think they explained it in the third movie. His character is important, and I get it, but I actually don't like his character that much. I think he plays him really well. I just don't like the character. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't really get it. To be fair, I don't, I don't know many things I love Lawrence Fishburne in. So, I mean, he was great in Apocalypse Now. Oh, I for I need to. I can't even remember him being in that. Honestly, I gotta rewatch it. He was like fourteen. He was very young. Oh wow, jeez. There's this one scene on a boat uh, where they're talking about a character who has died. And I feel like that's spoilers to say who it is, but we'll get to it. They're talking about a character who's died and they're like all eulogizing this character. And Lawrence Fishburne just goes, long live the king. It's like, it was, it was a solemn moment. And like, I get it. You're not wrong to be, to be like happy, I guess. But like, you did kind of ruin the vibe. Yeah, maybe a bit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but they're, they're, like, really solid, too. So, like, the cast of this is great. Cinematography, I'd love to see this nominated for Best Cinematography. I think I think this is, like, like really, really good. It sets, especially at the start, like, I mean, I'm a sucker for that cyberpunk vibes when they shoot at night in, like, Japan yeah. or Korea or something. But it just, at the start of this movie, like, in the build-up to, for, at least for me, seeing John Wick for the first time in the movie, it was such a cool feeling i don't know like that's like, i had never felt that in any of these movies before this one it truly felt like it was like it was building up to something really beautiful and uh the production quality as a whole is just really really good in the whole movie i'm never gonna stop coming back to it the the dance club scene is awesome like every single shot of that is insane and i know that this isn't specifically a cinematography thing but the extras that are, like, dancing and losing their shit to the music during that also are, like, so good. That's not cinematography, but the cinematography in that club is also just, like, amazing, the way that that whole scene is shot. I don't know how, you know, I'm going to say Chad Stileski, but Chad Stileski and also his, like, director of photography, etc., I don't know how they keep one-upping themselves when it comes to club fight scenes specifically. God damn, I love those scenes. Yeah, especially I actually really loved the guy who was fighting in that scene. The the I don't even I don't remember his name, but yes. he's just the poker guy. He was such a because like I don't know, we never see I guess someone of because he was like he wasn't a I don't want to he was a bigger man. I want to say like he he had a belly on him. He didn't you didn't think like he would be like the guy fighting when I saw him. I was like okay, like I remember literally thinking like okay, this is a, a random secretary guy who will take him to the main guy. But that was the guy. And he, he fights. I loved how they he fights using his body to the his fullest advantage while also being very quick and agile. 
and that 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 fight scene itself because that's the thing i think in the third movie when you have the second act was like it wasn't entertaining enough to really make it good for me because i think it, it took you so out of the plot that i sort of lost interest and the fight scenes weren't that good in my opinion and i thought the Halle Berry dogs were a little annoying or like just they were just comically like really good at fighting yeah but i think in this one i think the second act didn't really have a point for the main story it was just like kind of a side quest but Mm -hmm. that whole action scene and he was a very like physical villain like we didn't know anything about him well maybe we do i didn't because i walked out in the intro scene where we meet him and I came back in when they started fighting. <laughs> so oh. I don't know anything about the character, but he had such a, like, everything I feel like I had to know about him was in the way he fought and in the way he, he like, acted in those fights. So he was, he owned the club that they were in. Mm-hmm. And he was apparently the guy who killed John Wick's uncle, who was the leader of... The- the Riscaroma. Did did we ever meet his uncle? Possibly. John uncle? Not in this movie. <laughs> like another movie? Okay. I was confused by that. Like, John, John Wick had a little bit of a personal connection, but the reason he was going to kill that guy was because his cousin, who had had to watch her father die at this guy's hands, was like, go kill him and then we'll talk. Yeah, so... I, like, that's... It was, like, kind of a weak But I think it's, like, important, but... too, because, like, this is supposed to be... This is supposed to be a world of contract assassins. And, like, a big danger that this movie constantly run That these movies run into with their very expansive world building. While on one hand, this movie has, like, a really, really interesting, intricate world. It also kind of runs the risk of... These are a bunch of assassins who only kill each other. It's very important that they actually have contracts, right? And like, I guess he was also the that that <laughs> he big was guy. Also... He was he was still kind of in that world, but it was like John Wick wasn't killing him because he needs to get to the high table. He was killing him because he's a side quest. And I think it's important yeah. to have those side quests in this kind of a story. That's fair, yeah. And it was just like a cool they they just they made it good, so. Yeah. It, like, and he was an it... awesome fight. It was an Let's awesome. Let's not beat fight. around the bush. Yeah, and he dies in a very brutal way. Oh, falling. Man. See why? I do. I I think it's. I kind of miss this aspect of the first movie because it it was. It felt a lot more gritty. But in this movie, like he's just straight up like there's <laughs> one scene in Paris where he's just straight up runs out of a window and falls four stories onto a car, and he just gets up and wrist walks away, walks it off. Or like, because it's like we literally see that guy die in uh, Berlin. No, where where was that club? Berlin. Was it Berlin still? Yeah, it was. Yeah. He he dies in Berlin by falling like a couple stories. John Wick makes that same fall, but he's fine as well. In well, that he landed scene. on a car. Yeah, he landed on a car and not on his neck, I guess, which was <laughs> which was the difference. But still, it's like, but it it is kind of funny how. It, it adds, like, I don't want to say, I, I want to say it's, like, the Fast and Furious factor, where it's just, like, it's getting so ridiculous, but I don't really care at this point because it's just fun to watch. Yeah. It 100% strains the suspension of belief, or, yeah, I think that's the term. Like, there's yeah, no way they film those scenes thinking everyone's like, yeah, he's he's a normal human, this is... This is in any way sort of realistic. They they just completely throw that out the window. And that, you know what, that's okay, I guess. I mean, like, they give you, like, just enough, I feel like. Like, John Wick falling four stories and then landing on a car and then being able to walk it off. It's like, well, if he'd landed on the street, then I would be like, no, sir, that's not happening. But he landed on a car. And I so mean, like, oh, okay. He literally, he literally did that in the third movie, though. <laughs> yeah, okay, true. <laughs> actually no i guess he didn't i think lawrence fishburne saves him right i don't think he walks it off after that but lawrence fishburne picks him up and takes him to the sewers or wherever he lives yeah and helps him survive i think that's how it ended i can't really remember very well but it's, they do it's they do like there that. is an escalation where we saw yeah. him survive a fall from four stories in the first one and the third one and now we see him easily walk off 
four story fall in this one. So if they make another one, I feel like they're gonna up the up the ante even higher in what he can survive. <laughs> well, well, they'd have to. <laughs> they'd have to yeah. really up the ante here. <laughs> really, yeah. <laughs> By the final showdown of this movie, I was like, he's fallen down so many times, his knees must be actual dust. How is he still able to stand at this point? Yeah. I, like, I don't know how old he's supposed to be in universe, too. Because, like, John Wick, or Keanu Reeves himself is, like, 58. Is he 58? Yeah, so. Holy. But I think, like, if you add it up, because I think in the, like, obviously in the first movie, he's a lot, supposed to be a lot younger of a person. And oh. I'm pretty sure the events, if you add them up from, like, the first to this movie, I want to say is in the span of, like, less than a year. Because he's basically, like, it, it picks up very quickly from the last movie each time, from what I remember. Yeah. So. Yeah, because he's, like, constantly on the run. Yeah, I'd say in, in universe he might be, like, mid-40s, I want to say. I don't know, but. I wouldn't put him much past 52 in universe, but, like. Yeah. Probably mid-40s, like you're saying. I mean, yeah. still, <laughs> I think anything, anywhere close to what he went through at any age is, like, too much for someone. So that doesn't yeah. really matter either. What one one thing I did I did want to mention was the weird Mister Nobody character or the tracker guy. Ah, uh, yes. I don't understand what the point was. There's a cute kind of reference because he has a dog, and there's like a callback to the first movie where John protects the dog mm-hmm. after like, but that comes like three hours. It's very close to the end of the movie where that payoff comes. Other than that, I just, I don't understand why the character was there at all. I mean, I think that just from like a character perspective, it makes more sense to have John Wick have two enemies than just one. Especially because like for most of the movie, Donnie Yen is definitely trying to kill him, but they're also very clearly friends. And so like Donnie Yen can carry this as like the main enemy here. But I think it does help to have like that second I guess, like, smaller-time enemy who is coming from a completely different part. That's that's my guess. I didn't dislike it. I thought it was cool to have, like, the three of them sort of interacting. I guess. I, I think if we had, like, maybe some kind of connection to John, or... Because I just found it weird, like, why does he know how to track John so well that no one else does? You know, and, like, why is, is he, like, a really good fighter? I, I just... There was something missing, and I don't think the actor was good enough. Because I think a lot of the characters in this don't make any sense either. But, like, the acting is good enough to, like, they're just fun. Like, like Bill Skarsgård, honestly, he's just he's a mustache-twirling villain, rich guy, like, that we've had in every single movie so far. Like, it's no different. Yeah. But I really liked it because I think Bill Skarsgård brings, like, a, he's a very good performer. I didn't really think this Mr. Nobody guy had... Like, he wasn't a really a great actor. Like, he didn't. He wasn't a bad actor. I thought he did his job. Um, but he didn't bring anything new to the character or any... Because I, I think a big part of this movie is, like, the visual storytelling. You really have to find out, with little dialogue, you really have to find out who these characters are just by how they act and behave in the killing of people or in the very few dialogue pieces. He, It's like he kind of gets... He's, he's the one that actually has kind of a subplot where... We see him negotiating with Bill Skarsgård sometimes, mm-hmm. and uh, but that that doesn't. None of those really tell me. Like if you asked me who this character was, I'd be like, he's the guy with the dog. Like I don't. He doesn't have any character personality. Or yeah, well, <laughs> like I guess you could say that, but at least he could be like a cool nobody. You know, like he's just he's he's just a guy. But yeah, I think that's the one. It's a minor complaint. I thought the dog made him interesting enough, but mm-hmm. yeah, other than that, like, I think that's the only thing I didn't really love about it. I think like what I liked about uh, Shamir Anderson's character, uh, that that's the actor you're talking about. What I liked about mm-hmm. Nobody was like a lot of the fights in this movie and a lot of the fights in any John Wick movie and like any action movie kind of by design are against just like faceless nobodies. And I thought that he, his role, it didn't have, like, a lot to it. Like, again, I don't know much about this character, but I think that, like, 
he sort of gave a face to the faceless nobodies because he was always there in every fight, but he's like the secret guy in the bushes that John Wick has to like, he's got to fight everyone else before he gets shot by this guy over there. And like, I thought that it kind of made him in, in closer to video game terms, like an elite enemy among all of these, among all the like faceless goons that John Wick has to fight. And so I appreciated that aspect because like, Yes, it probably would. He, I, I probably would have liked him better if he'd had like a lot more and a lot meatier of a character. But we already had that with Johnny Yen. And so like, I think that one thing that is very difficult to do in a lot of movies, I know that Spider-Man 3 especially had like a big problem with this. If you have too many villains that have too much going on, it's hard to give enough screen time to each of them. And I thought that yeah. like, Donnie Yen got the big good characterization and Shamir Anderson got a character who didn't have quite as much to do and so didn't end up taking away anybody else's spotlight too much. Mm-hmm. That's fair. I can see that. It was it was already like a really long movie too. So maybe he did have more stuff and they decided to cut it out because they wanted a movie under three hours, so, which <laughs> yeah. is understandable. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, it's a very well-paced movie, too. I, it did not feel like three hours. It flew by for me. Yeah, I didn't... I mean, I, I knew it was three hours going in, and when I left, I was like, there's no way this has been three hours. And it had. It had been three hours. Mm-hmm. But it didn't feel like it at all. Yeah. Yeah, it's a ride. He wasn't in this movie for very long, but uh, this is one of the last film roles oh, for yeah. Lance Reddick. Yeah. I, uh, I, was, I was really sad to... Um, that his role was so short given that he he passed like a week ago right yeah i think so yeah it was actually it was a very touching i kind of wish we got to see how john because i feel like i didn't i feel like him and john from what i remember in the movies him and john had a much more interesting relationship Mm-hmm. Or not in relationship, but it's just like he was the first guy there for John, I guess, if that makes sense. And he was like, I love their dynamic. It's sad to see that like he didn't get another scene with John. But that was a really sweet scene. Given his limited limited screen time, I, I thought he did an excellent job. And he's he's one of the few people, I guess, in the franchise. He's not he's the only one that doesn't seem like an asshole. <laughs> like I think yeah. like, everyone in this world is like a complete asshole. He seems like the only like genuinely like like good guy caught up in all of this. And I think Lance Reddick plays that very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was, I was very sad to see him go. I was very happy to see him back and I was very sad to see him go as quickly as he did. Cause yeah. I've also just loved his character. Like I think he brings his character is so instrumental. I think in building the tone of this world because he's like, so professional as the guy who, as, as the concierge, he just stands behind he stands behind the desk and waits for people to come to him and then tells them like either, yes, your room is this way or hold on a second. You're being a little impolite right now. And like, he's just so instrumental in like building the exact atmosphere that these movies really need. And so, yeah, I mean, like I said, very sad to see him go, I guess like in a way it kind of felt like his role was filled a little bit by Clancy Brown's character, but Clancy Brown's character is also very, very different. Like Lance Reddick seems like a, his character in this Charon seems like a genuinely good guy. And Clancy Brown seems like a genuine asshole who just happens Mm. to know all the old laws by heart. So like when I say like he kind of fills the same role, he's another guy who like clearly within the universe understands this world better than anyone else but like they are very different characters yeah and i don't know he, he, he was good i liked him and it's really sad mm-hmm. he's he's the character we were talking about earlier that like they're they're all talking about how much they miss him and then and then lawrence fishburne is like long live the king I feel like Lawrence Fishburne doesn't even know. I remember I watched this interview where um, what someone was like talking about the Marvel universe. And he's like, oh, man, I'd love to be in the, the MCU one day. And he's like, you were already a villain in one of the movies. Wait, <laughs> he was doesn't he? doesn't even remember. 
Yeah, he was an Ant Man and the Wasp. Like, oh shit, he was. Yeah, yeah. It was a very honestly, it was a very bad role in my opinion. It was a very poorly written character or a boring character. I, I would say poorly. It was just a boring character, honestly. So I may, I don't blame him for not remembering. I guess, but that is like kind of a crazy thing to say. Like that does say a lot, though. Like if you ha- if you're an actor in the MCU and you forgot you're in the MCU, like. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what that says. I don't know who that reflects badly on. Probably Marvel at this point. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe, yeah. I don't know. But yeah, I don't know. John Wick. What, what would you? What would you give it? On first watch, it's a very soft nine. Fair enough. Yeah, I'd say it's a. It's an eight for me. I I was close to saying nine. I, I'm if I rewatch it, I might give it a nine. But I think it's tough for this movie to be a nine for me because it's just just the way the way it is. It, um, yeah, it's because I it wasn't like tugging at my heartstrings or anything. It was just it was fun to watch. Um, Man, yeah. you put you put a justice song in a fight scene in a movie, and like I'm I'm there. <laughs> there, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah. I I really hope they they do make a fifth one. This is this is one franchise that I I don't. I hope it does not. It, it kind of gives us a conclusion this one, but I I I honestly hope it doesn't end because. It just seems to be getting better and better. So, and like, mm-hmm. it's crazy to me that this is Chad Stahelski's fourth movie he's directed. They've all been John Wick movies, and each one has been, in certain ways, better than the last. I think I would probably put the first one up on top for sure, but like, mm. every single one of them has gone bigger, and, and at least in some aspects, better. Yeah, like he's improving a little bit with all of them, and like. He started from John Wick One, which was like the best movie of that year. So, yeah, I, I like. I guess it wouldn't be. I, I wouldn't be annoyed. I'd love to see what he does in the future because he he built this franchise from the ground up, and it's been, it's only been this movie. He's only directed this these uh, the John Wick movies. He's he's had his hands in other movies recently, but it's either as a writer or producer. So I'd be interested to see what he does in the director. future. Or as a stunt director, yeah. But a part of me is just like, I hope he sticks to John Wick too, because well, it's just so good. I don't know. I think he's in pre-production. He, I don't know if he's in pre-production. He's going into pre-production at the very least soon on his next movie, which is an adaptation of Ghost of Tsushima, which I don't know if you've played, but... I haven't played it. I know it's a very famous game, though, so... It's it's, it's very good. I would recommend yeah. it. Oh, cool. Oh, that that does sound fun. Is it does it have anything to do with Metal Gear Solid? Is that it is has that a completely different thing? Nothing to do with Metal Gear okay, Solid. Okay, okay, cool. I don't know why. Which is probably good because any, like anything that has to do with Metal Gear Solid better be Metal Gear Solid content because that is one of the messiest universes in terms of world building and <laughs> random lore okay. that I have ever encountered. Yeah, yeah. I well, I think he would actually make a very good this video game fight because I, I think the thing with video games is that like i noticed have you seen the last of us show at all i just watched episode two today oh perfect well i i noticed in that show they toned down a lot of like i don't know if you played the game but joel does not kill as many people in the show as he does in the game because it's a video game like you're obviously gonna be killing way more people because that's how the game works one of the mechanics of the game is killing people. It's the main yeah, mechanic. So. <laughs> so, and I could see why they like, like would tone it down in the show, but there is like an aspect missing of that. Whereas, like I think Chad could make just you killing people the whole time in a movie fun to watch. So I think he'd actually be like perfect to adapt a game where it is just a lot of killing. I don't know if that's what Ghost of Ghost of Tsushima is very violent. And like, perfect. Well, <laughs> honestly, my only complaint with the game, or at least with the story of the game, is that like it didn't like go dark enough if you decided to be very, very, very violent in your playthrough. It kind of always assumed you were a good guy going bad. And it's sort of like at certain times, if your playstyle didn't line up with what the game wanted you to do, it kind of felt like out of sync at some points. And I think that Chad Stileski has exactly what it takes to either adapt and show exactly what that play style should look like, 
or like really lean into the darker aspects of the implications of that game. Well, now I don't really want to play this game, honestly. It's really good. Is it on? Dude. Is it on PlayStation? Yeah. Oh, perfect. I'll check it out. And you should check out John Wick Chapter Four. Yes, heavy recommend. Heavy recommend. Well, what's what's the last word, Jeff? Uh, just have fun with it.